As we continue our, our series on Advent themes, I do ask that you would uh, turn with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. If you get to Matthew, head back to the left. He's right there. And today we are going to look at Malachi's words in chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 17 and going on through verse 5 of Malachi 3. Um, I will say to those who come to Sunday school, I, I apologize, there's going to be a little bit of overlap. I tried to keep things as, as separated as possible, but because Mark in that first chapter referenced this prophecy, um, there will be a little bit of overlap. So uh, maybe if you miss something in Sunday school, you'll catch it the second time around. So um, our reading today does begin uh, from the words of the prophet Malachi uh, beginning in chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Look here, behold, or see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Let us pray. Great God of history, you sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And you promised that at John's word, people would turn their hearts away from their own selfish desires and back to those who they were called to love and respect. You promised that his words would cause many in Israel to turn their hearts to the love of God. And as John was filled with the spirit, I ask you, I beg you, Lord, that you would fill my words with your spirit so that our hearts may be turned to love you and to love our neighbors. Open the ears of those who are listening and change their hearts to draw near to you. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Well, you know what? You better get ready. Now, whether you're leaving for a trip or maybe just heading out in the morning, there's always that one parent in the household that lets you know it's time to be ready. Time is running short. God, through his messenger here, Malachi, says the same thing to the Israelites after the exile. They have these misformed beliefs about God and about how he acts in this world, these misformed beliefs about God have led them to lie to themselves to call God a liar. 
And so he warns them that they need to be prepared for his arrival, the arrival of the messenger of the covenant. And he lets them know that another messenger will come to prepare the way for that first messenger. And so today we will look at God's call to be prepared as we await the arrival of the Messiah. First, what we believe about God matters. The book of Malachi is a transcript from a trial. Malachi is called to log God's accusations against the nation of Israel and to log their responses, their defense against God and how well it stands. Oftentimes, though, the only defense that the Israelites can offer to God's accusation is, what proof do you have to tell us that what you say is true? Back up those accusations for me. And God always gives adequate testimony, adequate witness to back up his claims against the idolatrous Israelites. God is omniscient. He knows the hearts. He knows the motives of his people. He knows their actions. And as he says in verse five of today's passage, he is quick to be a witness against his people. Whatever questioning of his evidence, the people cannot stand against God's omniscient knowledge of their actions and their motives. Earlier in the book, God accuses the Israelites of bad worship and the Israelites say, what? We worship you. What's so wrong with our worship? God says, well, I asked for the best of your flocks. I asked for males without disease or without injury as sacrifices to me. And you constantly bring me the sick animals, the wounded animals, the animals that you wouldn't even serve to your families or local government officials. In this particular passage today, God opens with the accusation that his people have wearied him. Now, God is all powerful. He's able to accomplish and bear up under all things that do not contradict his nature, do not contradict his his attributes. So so this declaration uh, that he is wearied is a hyperbole to get our attention of the holy exasperation that God has against the idolatries of his people. God is almost like the mom who was asked and who was asked and who was asked and who was asked over and over and over again for her child to clean up their room and finally has to come along and say, how many times have I told you? God says you have wearied me with your idolatry. And the Israelites respond with, exactly what have we done to weary you with our idolatry? Almost an arrogant statement that, you know, we are your people. We have your law. We worship you. Why are you so frustrated? Why are you so exasperated with us? And God says, well, it's because you say things about me that are wrong. And you deny my justice. What were they saying about him that was wrong? They said that God called the evil good and the good evil. The Israelites looked around them and they thought themselves to be good law-keeping Israelites. And they looked at the world around them and said, 
wow, they are evil, they are wicked, and yet they are prospering. So God must not be right in all those promises where he says he will punish the wicked and he will reward the righteous because we're living here in poverty and squalor. We're struggling, living paycheck to paycheck, and, and we're God's people. So we should be the ones that are prosperous. Now, there's a couple problems here or a couple things to look out for. Number one, God does promise to reward the righteous and punish the wicked. But God is working on an eternal timetable. And sometimes it does look as though the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And yet we have to keep God's eternity in mind. But secondly, and and, and more importantly for this accusation here, the accusation is that God is not treating the Israelites fairly and according to the righteousness that they have because they are God's people. And the problem is, we look at the rest of the book of Malachi, the people are anything but righteous. The Israelites have denied repeatedly that God loves them. The Israelites have offered God inferior offerings. The Israelites have profaned and taken in vain the name of God. The Israelites have repeatedly broken his law and pursued idols. The, the Israelites have been unfaithful to their wives setting them aside and taking foreign wives. The Israelites have robbed God by not bringing the first fruits as their tithes and offerings. They have accused God of being an unjust employer and not giving them the wages due for the work done by the Israelites. We all know that kid. He's typically an older sibling who is always quick to point out the faults of their younger brothers and sisters and yet are blind to their own sin, to their own failing. The Israelites are sitting here saying, look, we've got your temple, God. We're living in your promised land. We we have your law and, and we keep the parts we like. Why won't you reward us? We're your holy, righteous, magnificent people. And God says, no, you're my people, but you're not holy. You're not righteous. You're not magnificent. I am treating you as you deserve. We oftentimes have a tendency, a temptation You and I battle the temptation to think, you know what? I show up on a Sunday morning. You know what? I'm a pastor. I get to wear a suit and tie on Sunday and stand in front of people and speak. I show up every time the doors are open. God must love me more than all these. And God says, no. Are you righteous? Are you holy before me? Are you repentant? Or do you have misconceptions about how and why I reward the righteous and punish the wicked? The temptation for you and me is to think that our righteousness is a superficial righteousness. And as long as we go through the motions, God will reward us because we are his holy and chosen people. But the reality is, is that scripture says, if you do not have a changed heart, if you do not have a heart that by the Holy Spirit is tuned 
to desire and to love God and the things of God, to love neighbor and to serve neighbor according to God's righteous purposes. Well, you're like the person that Jesus describes in Matthew 7 that that goes around with a giant log in their own eye seeking to, to kind of scratch the little speck, the little dot out of the eye of their neighbor, of their friend. And in the midst of God reminding them of who He is and who they are in light of His holiness, in light of their holiness and their righteousness, He says, you want justice? I'm getting ready to show you justice, so be careful what you ask for. And He tells us of two messengers. First, the messenger that will prepare the way and the messenger, the God-man messenger that will arrive to execute exactly what the people of God want. First, the, the messenger that prepares the way. God tells the Israelites that justice that they think they're waiting for will come. And yet they will be prepared for it when it comes. The first sentence of verse 3 talks about a messenger that will come to prepare the way for God himself. We talked about in Sunday school today that in the ancient Near East, a, a king didn't have the option to go on the radio or the television to have his little fireside chat to check in on his people and to to, to, to let, the know, let the people know what the king was up to in his kingdom. He actually had to go visit him, visit the cities, visit the, the communities and, and go, go talk to them and, and, and show them what he was about and what he was doing. But he also couldn't just show up unawares because, you know, the parties wouldn't be ready. The parades wouldn't be ready. So he would send ambassadors. Oh, and if a king up, if a king showed up to a city unawares, it was typically with an army behind him because they needed to be punished. So he sent a messenger. He sent a group of ambassadors and engineers and and party planners ahead of him to let the people know that the king was coming and they needed to clean up the streets. They needed to fill the potholes. They, you know, maybe it'd be nice if every time the governor visited the county, maybe he'd fill a few potholes when he came. Who knows? But he would always fill the potholes. Sorry. He would always send the engineers ahead to fill the potholes, to get the roads ready and, and to set the parties up so that when the king came, he could have the reception that he deserved because he was king. And so God promises the Israelite, he says, I'm coming with justice, but I'm going to send a person who will prophesy and prepare and call you to repentance. We know from passages like Mark 1 and 2, from Matthew 11.10, from, from Luke 7.26, that John the Baptist was this long-expected messenger, the messenger sent to prepare the people for the arrival of the Lord. And his preparatory work was to call the people to this to repentance and, and to a symbolic cleansing of the cleansing that the, the God-man messenger, the second messenger, would bring. God told his people that he would come in judgment and that he would send a messenger to prepare them for that judgment. Most of the work of the prophets was to call the people to repentance, to, to show them where they had fallen short of God's law. And John the Baptist, as we talked about in Sunday school today, was that final prophet. He wore the prophetic uniform, the, the camel hair coat and the leather belt. He ate the prophetic diet, honey and bugs. Thank goodness the prophetic office is over. 
He offered a ritual cleansing that pointed to the need for a deeper spiritual cleansing, a cleansing that would be accomplished by the second messenger that was to come, the Messiah. And after we are introduced to this first messenger, God says that the Lord himself will suddenly appear among them and will be the messenger of the the, the covenant. And he warns them, be careful what you ask for. Where is God's justice, they have asked. God says, be careful, because it's on its way. And he gives us the picture of the justice that will come. And he talks about it in terms of the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. Fire is used as a word picture throughout Scripture as a metaphor for both judgment and purification. And we have the picture of, a, of kind of a, a, a purification that that either brings salvation or judgment here in these two pictures. The refiner is the one who would take the precious metals mined from the ground. He would set it in a foundry, in a, in a, in a, 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 a vessel that, that could take great heat and it would melt it down and he would get it hotter and hotter and hotter until finally the impurities in it would either burn away or would melt and fall to different strata within based on their density. And they would separate the precious metal from the the dross, the stuff that would be thrown away because it was useless. And God says that this messenger of the covenant will bring his refining fire to separate the precious from the useless. And we think about those parables of Jesus where it's whether it's the wheat or the weeds that are separated and the, the weeds are sent to be burned in the fires or or the, the sheep and the goats that are separated as the sheep go into their inheritance and the goats are sent into the place of fire and darkness and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And we're reminded of Jesus ministry, that purifying ministry to separate the truly holy, the truly righteous from those who deserve judgment. The other picture that he has there is the the launderers or the fuller's soap. Um, depending upon your translation. What is this launderer's soap? Well, have you ever worked with wool? Have you ever tried to dye wool? Ben Curry makes these neat little coffee koozies, and he makes hats, and he makes uh, 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 backpacks and other things like that out of wool. And wool is not typically green, is it? Oh, I better be careful. I might slosh some of my leftover coffee on myself here. You know, there's a process, you know, wool won't typically hold a dye because of some of the oils and other things that are in the wool. And you have to take a soap, sometimes it's alum, sometimes it's lye, that strips the wool of those, those, those external oils so that it will take a color, a, a, a beautiful color, so that it will be glorified, so that it will be beautified. And God says this this God-man messenger that will come to you, that will come to the temple, that will bring glory, will strip away those impurities that keep my beauty, my glory from adhering to you. He is the one who will purify purify the priesthoods. He will refine the people of God, that, that nation of priests who are there to serve God through loving him and loving neighbor. And then the people will be righteous. That's what Jesus came for, brothers and sisters. He was 
that God-man, messenger of the covenant, who did the work to refine, to purify, to glorify, and to beautify his people. He lived the perfect life that we are called to so that we might have his righteousness as he takes the punishment for our impurities. As he takes the refiner's fire, as he takes the launderer's soap that we deserve upon himself so that we can be righteous, so that we can be purified, so that we can enter his presence in worship and be accepted and not judged. He is the second messenger that Malachi speaks of here, the the messenger that comes to purify, to refine, and to justify his people. Jesus is still at work in this world, in our lives today, seeking to purify us, seeking to sanctify us through the power of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to take off that old man of flesh, and to put on those new robes of righteousness, robes that aren't just the mere grayish, dirty white of wool, but robes that have been dyed in the righteousness, in the glory of Christ. But God declares that this messenger will not only bring the purifying fire, but he will also bring the judging fire. Verse 5, so I will come near to you for judgment will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Sorcerers, those who consult the dead and the stars to try and guide and discern the future. Adulterers, those who who ignore the sanctity of marriage and, and pursue sex merely for the sake of pleasure and for sex. The perjurers, those who bear false witness against their neighbor. The oppressors, those who refuse to pay the laborers a fair wage. Those who deny help to the lowest of low in society. But notice that last phrase. But do not fear me. That is the root of all sin. That is the root of what brings judgment upon people is they do not fear God. You may be sitting there today saying, you know what, I'm not guilty of any of those sins that are listed here in this passage, and that is great. But do you fear God? Do you find yourself so enraptured by the glory and majesty of what Jesus has done through our redemption, through our salvation, that you rush to lovingly obey the law of God? Is your first consideration in decision-making, is it shaped by a pursuit of God's glory and His glory alone? Do you fear the Lord? I really think after studying this that Paul references this section in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. We have these glorious words in 6, 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God hasn't changed. He will still come in judgment upon these sins. But Paul goes on and he says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. 
Thanks be to God, brothers and sisters, that, that God doesn't leave us in our sins, but he gathers these types of people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I read this passage and I'm like, it's almost as if Paul is sitting there saying, hey, Sam, you, you, you remember how you used to be trapped by this sin? Glory be to God that he has freed you from it and that you are purified rather than judged. Hey, Pam, how about you? Remember when, when, when you used to struggle in this area? Man, thanks be to God that you have been purified and refined rather than judged by God's fire of judgment. Oh, and Julian, do you remember how much wreckage you made of your life because of the sin that was there? God, the messenger of the covenant came. He poured his cleansing fire over all of you to purge the impurities and he used the launderer's soap in your heart so that instead of the blackness of sin, you could be dyed with the riches of color that showed the depth of the glory of God's righteousness in your life. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, the messenger of the covenant. And then Jesus came to the temple, bringing the glory to Solomon that Solomon's temple could never match. And he brought the message that, yes, judgment was coming. But first, there would be a time of offered salvation and redemption where the fire and the soap would be used to save and to sanctify before it would be used to judge. Glory be to God above to God above that he has offered the grace and mercy of the cross. The prophetic message was a call to the people of God to turn from their sin and to fear God. We live in a time between the cross and the return. We still anxiously await. We are still anticipating Jesus coming just as Malachi's audience did. And our temptation is to be just like Malachi, to, be, to, be, to give the bare minimum to God and to think that, hey, just because we show up every Sunday, just because we sing, just because we pray, that God's happy with us. And then to begin to speak lies about God, to become to become sad because he won't do things the way we think he should do them in this world. When all the time God is saying, look to yourself, look to your own heart. As you prepare for the return of Christ, remember that fire and the launderer's soap burn, but they burn to purify us from our sinful habits to purify us from our misconception and our lies about who God is and how he works in this world. To purify, to burn away our selfishness so that we can see the image of God in others and work for their, for their betterment and for their salvation. And yes, sometimes those things hurt. Some of those sinful patterns, some of those attachments, sinful attachments that we have to this world are so deeply ingrained within us that the fire, that the soap burns. But know this, that as, as you prepare, as you go through the work of repentance, as you go through the work of sanctification, know that the gardener is gentle. And that he is gentle when he prunes, even when it hurts. Brothers and sisters, be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we consider the incarnation, we ask that you would shine your light into our hearts. 
in areas where we need to be cleansed, where we need to be purified. Send your refining fire and your launderer's soap through our hearts and burn away the dross, burn away the hay, burn away the stubble so that we might be precious metals built into your temple. Lord, strengthen us to be prepared for your coming. Strengthen us to help others prepare to meet you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But as you go, please take this blessing upon you. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory now and forevermore. Amen.